This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. An aggressive cyber criminal operation is targeting hostiles with ransomware in a campaign which demonstrates how low some crooks will go. So who are these attackers? Why are they targeting hospitals? And what needs to be done to stop them? I'm Danny Palmer. This is the Net Security Update. And with me to discuss this is Kimberly Goody, Director of Cybercrime Analysis at Mandiant. Thanks for joining me, Kimberly. So first of all, who is behind these attacks and how have they been uncovered? Yeah, so Fin12 is a financially motivated threat group that is behind some of the most prolific ransomware attacks that we've tracked to date. They've been operating since at least October of 2018, and their um, operations primarily involved the deployment of Riot ransomware. Um, as you know, they have aggressively pursued healthcare targets. Um, about 20% of all of the ransomware intrusions that we've responded to at Mandiant were actually within the healthcare sector. Um, this is a group that we do believe is Russian speaking um, at minimum. And we have identified Russian language within their malware. Um, we have identified Russian language um, speakers who claim to use Riot ransomware as well. Um, and the initial access providers that we've identified that Fin12 uses are also Russian speaking. So we're very, fairly confident um, that they, they are a Russian speaking group. And as discussed, it's evident that they go after hostels. There's a significant percentage of their targets, uh, more so than uh, many other ransomware groups. So I suppose the question here is, why is it that hostels are such a target for them? I suppose the answer might be kind of obvious in a way, because these are services which are critical, especially over the last 18 months. Yeah, of course. So Fin12 has actually been targeting hospitals both before and um, after the, the pandemic began, um, they obviously have um, an interest in, in targeting anyone who, who is going to pay them. Um, but as you know, the healthcare industry is particularly vulnerable because they are providing critical services. Um, and so there have been cases where there have been ransomware attacks and people have been turned away from hospitals, for example. Um, we've actually seen actors specifically stating um, in underground communities that they like to target hospitals because they are more likely to pay um, and they perceive that they might be more likely to pay quickly. Because if you think about ransomware negotiations, um, some of those can go on for weeks. Um, and that's a time investment that these threat actors are having to make. And so when they have an organization who wants to pay up quickly, that ultimately is saving them time um, and allowing them to get paid more quickly. And so that could be one of the reasons that Fin12 has pursued these targets while other threat actors may not. So is it the unfortunate case then that this is successful, uh, especially the targeting of healthcare like this, because there are organizations, uh, hospitals and the like, which are paying the ransom because they see no other option in terms of getting their networks back up and running and, or, and being able to treat patients? 
Yeah, exactly. Um, right. And we've seen cases where they've demanded millions of dollars from these hospitals as well. Um, there was um, a specific indication back in October of 2020, if you recall, there was that U.S. government alert that was warning of this imminent threat on healthcare targets. And there is actually one of the initial access providers of FIN12 that we had identified who um, specifically wanted to target those because they were having such success with them paying quickly. Um, and so FIN12's targeting, though, I, I think it's important to know, it's, it's not obviously exclusive to the healthcare industry. We've seen them target a wide range of sectors, um, anywhere from government um, to um, service providers. Um, so it's, it's definitely not just within the healthcare industry, um, but when they see organizations that are willing to pay pay up fast, um, then they're more likely to repeatedly target them in the future. If you look at healthcare too, um, these are organizations that, you know, historically might not have been targeted as frequently as other sectors, like let's say the financial sector, which is has been dealing with banking malware for a decade now. Um, and so the healthcare industry in and of itself might be, might be more or less mature when it comes to their cybersecurity. And so that might make them an easier target too. We've seen similar here in the UK with WannaCry ransomware. And when that hit uh, around the world, it affected the National Health Service in particular because you know, the hospitals here, you know, they, they, they've struggled with budgets. And in many cases, they are, you know, when decisions have to be made, it's not to IT and security that money is being given, it's going to other services. I mean, that's changed to an extent now, but uh, is it is it that one of the reasons why uh, hospitals you know, do struggle with this? Because you know, there, there is a budget to be balanced. And if you say, oh, we are spending X millions of dollars on IT, someone was going to go, oh, hey, why aren't you using that to you know, treat diseases or you know, cure this or that or help patients when uh, people in the in information security will know that this will protect people in the long run, but people like you know, board members, or, for example, might not think that it is a wise or sound investment. No, if they especially if they don't know about the impacts this could have. Yeah, of course. Yeah, definitely. the The actual investment in, in cybersecurity is a concern here. Um, I I think that it's also important to note though that. There are threat actors who don't target the healthcare sector because, you know, maybe they have a stronger moral compass. Um, and so, you know, while like, I guess how I like to think about this, like there are always going to be those threat actors who don't care about the repercussions of their actions because they have not suffered any consequences for their actions in the past. And so you're always going to have these outliers like FIN12 that are more aggressively pursuing um, vulnerable and critical sectors like healthcare. But then you're also going to have um, other threat actors who are more sensitive to that. Um, and you definitely see that with certain ransomware affiliate offerings, prohibiting the targeting of critical infrastructure or government or, or healthcare, for example. And so um, I, I do think that there's something to be said too, that if there is a threat actor who is very um, determined to target you, they are going to, to find a, a way to do so successfully. Um, but yes, as you know, um, definitely the maturity of a, an organization is definitely one of the factors that can consider 
um, or factor into the threat actors targeting calculus as well. So in these cases with the FIN12 and other ransomware attacks, how are they gaining access to these networks in order to lay the foundations to ultimately execute ransomware on the network? Yeah, so we actually don't attribute any of the initial intrusion activity to FIN12. So we are very confident that they actually rely on um, initial access partners who complete that objective on their behalf. And so if we look at their intrusions from March 2020 and prior, um, in all the incidents that we responded to where we were able to determine that initial intrusion vector, it was determined to be the TrickBot malware, which people are very familiar with, um, previously had been used uh, largely for banking fraud, right? But then kind of um, transitioned to be more increasingly used as a traditional backdoor to enable ransomware deployment operations. Um, and so we believe that FIN12 was was working with threat actors who um, controlled or operated TrickBot. Um, and then whenever there would be a successful ransom payment, they would split that with that initial intrusion actor. And so typically what you'll see in these cases is around 30% of a successful ransom payment will actually be paid out to that initial access provider. Um, we've seen over time, however, that FIN12 has diversified the partnerships that it has. Um, so to give you an example, in the first half of 2021, we actually saw multiple incidents where the first evidence of compromise was a threat actor logging into a Citrix environment. And this actually corresponded with something that we saw in underground forums where there was multiple actors who we identified who were seeking Citrix accesses to victim environments. And so, you know, while we can't necessarily say with 100% certainty that these actors are affiliated with Bin 12, um, that does give you an idea of how these threat actors are actually seeking out partnerships and leveraging these underground communities to obtain access to victim organizations. And so that really allows them to kind of specialize in, in what they do best. Um, and, and that is the actual deployment of the ransomware in the case of FIN12. So once they've gained access to a network, how long does it take for them to actually go about deploying uh, the ransomware? Is it a case of just a few days or is it longer? Yeah, so with FIN12, um, their time to ransom is interesting because we can look at it from two different ways. So FIN12, um, in 90% of the intrusions, there actually was no data theft at all in FIN12 intrusions, um, which is you know potentially another point that we can talk to since that's really become the norm in a lot of ransomware operations today um, is that data theft and, and extortion for the non-release of that. Um, but that that was pretty atypical for FIN12. Um, and so when we look at the intrusions that involve data theft, the, their time to ransom, the time from when they enter the environment to the time when they begin deploying ransomware was about 12 and a half days um, compared to just two and a half days where they did not conduct any data theft at all. Um, if we also look at their time to ransom year over year, so the, the first half of 2020 compared to the first half of 2021, um, they were able to cut their time to ransom in half. Um, and so that shows over time that they've been improving as well. Um, but going back to the data theft piece, right, we do believe that FIN12 has actually chosen to forego data theft and extortion 
um, operations because it significantly increases their time to ransom. Which is an interesting uh, point because you no, know, we've seen a lot of the major ransomware groups, uh, especially of course, of course of last year uh, mm-hmm. and this year, uh, you know, use this data theft element. You no, know, you no, know, using what's called double extortion, basically saying if you don't pay, we will you no know, leak this stolen data. Mm-hmm. Um, it's proven very effective. So why is it that uh, Fin12 seems to not be using this? Is it is it purely a case because they just want to get it over and done with and get the money as quickly as possible? Yeah, so as you know, there have been tens of sites that have been stood out by different ransomware brands in order to advertise the stolen data. Um, Riot Ransomware actually doesn't have one of these sites, but if we look at Fin12 and the partnerships that they have, um, and in one case, we did just see them deploy Conti Ransomware, which is a um, ransomware uh, service that does have one of these sites, right? So they definitely have the ability in the partnerships of if they wanted to um, steal data and advertise it, you know, they, they could do that. Um, we do believe, though, that they have chosen deliberately to prioritize the speed. Uh, and you see that difference in, in the 10 days from, from data theft to when there was no data theft. Um, and each day that they are spending in that environment, um, it increases the likelihood that they're going to be detected before they're able to achieve that goal, um, which in their case is to deploy ransomware. And so we think it is a deliberate choice on their part um, with you know, data theft. There's not necessarily a guarantee that an organization is going to necessarily pay you for the non-release of that as it is. Um, but with ransomware, especially if it is an organization that needs to get online quickly, um, they are more likely to pay um, than, than maybe they would had you just stolen their data, for example. And so um, we think that they've had success in this realm, um, clearly, based on the number of incidents that we've responded to. And so they've, they've chosen to prioritize just the ransomware deployment. So when it comes to uh, what we can learn about the evolution of uh, ransomware and uh, cybercrime in general, what does uh, this whole episode with how uh, Fin12 are developing uh, tell us? Yeah, I think there's a couple points about Fin12 that kind of represent the broader ransomware ecosystem. Um, I hinted at one of those earlier, and that's the the specialization and, and their focus specifically on the ransomware deployment aspect itself, um, that is really emblematic of what we expect to see in a current ransomware operation today. So, you know, when we are investigating something, it is very common for there to be one party who is providing access, another actor who is actually deploying the ransomware, and the third party who is in charge of development of the ransomware and actually running that service. Um, And so, What this means is that because threat actors are able to specialize, they are are getting quicker because they are, rather than having to learn how to perform all aspects of an intrusion, they they can focus on those that they do best. Um, And so that speeds up the the total attack time. Um, And because they're leveraging different partnerships, you're not always going to see the same initial intrusion vector across all incidents where you see a threat actor like FIN12. Um, This also means too that when a ransomware affiliate program 
um, maybe gets disrupted or goes offline or shuts down. Um, that is not necessarily integral to an actor like Fin12's operations um, because they can just choose to use one of a number of other ransomware affiliates the, um, offerings that exist out there. And so I think the specialization is, is really interesting, um, but definitely represents the, this broader ecosystem that we're seeing. Um, Fin12 also has gone after high-value targets. Um, that's a trend that we've seen um, over the last two years as well. Um, obviously, if you go after these high-value targets, the mentality here is that you can demand more money from them. And so when we look at Fin12 victims, um, the average annual revenue across all of them was approximately $6 billion. Um, and so we do believe that Fin12 has generally targeted organizations that hire, have higher annual revenues than, than some of the other ransomware groups that we've seen. Um, all, almost all of the organizations actually had annual revenues that were over 300 million as well. Um, and so again, this is interesting to me as well um, because we, we are seeing significantly higher demands coinciding with this targeting. Um, so if we look at the cases where we had visibility into what Fin12 demanded, those demands were ranging from $1 to $25 million. And, and that's kind of a broader trend that we've seen, too, is, is actors are demanding more money from, from these victims. Um, but that's also a concerning development as well, right? Because if they're making if they're making these demands and they're actually receiving them, um, their their total profits that they're making over time is is significantly increasing as well. Um, and so, and that is then allowing them to invest into the people and the tools to improve the efficacy of their future operations. Um, and so, just at a high level, that's kind of where I see the the general um, or the broader ecosystem today, and in health in twelve fits into that. So what needs to be done in order to stop ransomware being so successful, to stop these attacks making so much money and causing uh, so much disruption? Because as we've seen over the course of the last year, uh, especially, you know, there's been so many incidents where ransomware has caused you no know, disruption, uh, you no, know, for want of a better phrase, in, in the real world, things like the colonial pipeline attack, the Caseo attack, you no, know, stopping people from going to the shops, you no, know, various attacks against hospitals, you no, know, forcing cancellation of appointments. So, what needs to be done in order to try and prevent ransomware being uh, such a big problem? So, I think. There's two things that kind of stick out in my mind. Um, there's one, there's the prioritization piece. There are a lot of different ransomware brands that are out there. Um, and so trying to distill this problem down into a manageable, I guess, target set for who you would want to prioritize. And so for me, when I look at that, I think about like who is having the most impact. Um, if you look at kind of the strategy that has been employed so far, you know, it's pretty common for people to focus on this ransomware brand. And I would kind of argue that maybe that's the wrong thing to focus on um, because we need to focus on the people who are actually deploying the ransomware. So if you look at underground forums and what you see people recruiting for, they're not necessarily seeking people to provide or to code ransomware. There is plenty of that skill set to go around. Um, but what seems to be lacking more so is the skill set required to actually deploy the ransomware. And I and so I think, you know, potentially shifting the focus onto those players and going after them, um, especially because some of them are using multiple brands concurrently, right? So I think 
thinking about how we prioritize the threat and who the big players are, I, I think that's one um, starting place that, that we should think about. Um, and then the second thing that I would say is, you know, once you decide who those priorities are, having a multifaceted approach to actually address that. Um, so, you know, I would give a call back to the, the Emotet dis disruption operation, which, you know, is, was relatively successful to, to maybe some others that we've, that we've seen in the past. Right. And so what I think was interesting about that, um, was that it was multi-pronged, right. They were able to make some arrests. Um, they were able to take over that, the infrastructure, um, they were also able to obtain databases that they had um, so that organizations and individuals could remediate those stolen credentials. Um, and so I think by having a multifaceted approach to address the problem, it's really important. And I think you're starting to see more government actions um, occur that are kind of going toward that direction, right? Like we are seeing sanctions levied on cryptocurrency exchanges, we are hearing about more arrests. Um, and so I think that that is kind of where the, the direction that we are going. And I, I think that is definitely the right direction. Um, and so I think if we do those two things, we prioritize and we take a multifaceted approach to the problem, that is ultimately how we're going to have the most impact. And when it comes to organizations uh, making sure they don't fall victim to ransomware, uh, what are some of the things that they should be uh, prioritizing uh, themselves in terms of uh, ensuring and protecting their network from you know, things, vulnerabilities and attacks? Yeah, so it's uh, this is simple, but I think, you know, the the one thing that is that we would generally recommend if you were prioritizing one thing, it would be to add two-factor authentication to your accounts. And, and that's simple, but there are so many cases where you respond to an organization and, and two-factor wasn't implemented or it wasn't implemented across all accounts. So, and so doing that can help prevent a lot of these attacks. Um, but I would say also more broadly, organizations obviously have to prioritize um, what they are patching. They can't do everything realistically. And so understanding which vulnerabilities are being exploited by ransomware threat actors, and then adding that into kind of the decision-making process for what you are prioritizing, um, I think is really important as well. Um, and so being able to kind of soak in um, some of that, the threat intel that that is out there and those, those warnings that companies put out when they are seeing that, I think is important um, if you do have the resources to do that. Thanks, Kimberly. That's a really interesting discussion about ransomware and you know, some things that organizations can do in order to protect themselves from it. Uh, thanks for joining me on ZDNet Security Update. And for more information on how to keep your network safe from cyber attacks, there's, of course, plenty of videos here on the ZDNet YouTube channel, and there's plenty of uh, articles, features, and analysis on ZDNet.com. Thanks for watching.